Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. And announcing the all-new Beachwear for Pipe Smokers. You ought to see where the bowl goes. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, and always entertaining pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night in August, and uh, it's raining here. (laughs) Anyway, it's just been raining all day. Uh, But on tonight's show, hey, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, when... uh, I'm going to propose a couple of scenarios to you on uh, when do we stop looking for new blends that we love? When do we stop trying new blends? Do we ever stop? How do we... Uh, you know, some some thoughts for you. Not much really to learn, but some thoughts that maybe you'll, uh, you know, maybe maybe something will germinate with you. Uh, my guest tonight is R.D. Field. Uh, many of you have seen his writings. He was uh, integral in the introduction of Ashton Pipes into the United States and has been a fixture in the uh, pipe show and pipe club, uh, pipe collecting community for, oh, 50 years. Uh, 50 years or so and then uh, music mailbag and I'm going to warn you right now if you're sensitive don't listen to the rant because I'm going to unload on uh, on uh, health insurance and uh, other people that I think are in line to uh, get screwed by health insurance premiums so get ready for that Uh, and I'll I'll warn you don't be sensitive when you listen to it um All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Facebook Live on my Facebook page. You can go there and follow me right now. Uh, I'm going to do another Facebook Live, I realize, and I apologize. It's been about seven months since the last one. going to do another one, and it's going to be rousing, uh, stimulating video chat, whatever you want to call it, live of... How I uh, process my uh, flake tobaccos before I get ready to smoke them. Yeah, you're gonna see a coffee grinder live on Facebook. I know it's. I know it just sounds like too much. Um, anyway, all that uh, that's coming up tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, looking forward to that. Hope you hope you'll enjoy it. Probably not going to be uh, too long because uh, the coffee grinder works pretty quick. All right, enough rambling. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. Here we go with hopefully a uh, thought-stimulating pipe parts conversation, shall we say. Uh, The way I figure it, there is uh, three different kinds of pipe smokers out there. Uh, there's the pipe smoker that has their one dedicated blend and that's the one they love and that's the one they smoke all the time. The second one is the pipe smoker out there who has one style of blend that they smoke or one style of tobacco that they smoke. They smoke that style all the time. Uh, for example, somebody who might like a uh, light to uh, medium English. That's all they smoke. That's their wheelhouse. That's it. Uh, in my case, a Virginia Perique. That's my wheelhouse. That's what I smoke. Then there's a third type of smoker, and this whole pipe parts segment is probably not for you at all. 
But then there, the third type is somebody who might have five or six completely different styles of tobaccos open at a time and may dabble between a uh, an aromatic and then uh, finish off the evening with an English or may smoke aromatics inside and maybe... Uh, Maybe Virginia's in the morning, and then uh, when the weather's nice and then go outside, may smoke in English. You know that type of person. They have six or seven blends open at a time. Now, let me go back and talk to those of us that are one uh, those of us that are one blend all the time. If you found your wheelhouse, all right, that's fine. But what happens if a, another blend comes along that may be your magic new blend? Uh, how do you know it came along? All right, for for those of us that are uh, pigeonholed into one blend or one area of pipe smoking, um, I'm going to suggest heavily that you take some time away from your favorite blend. Uh, take some time from away from your favorite style. And I am trying to do that myself. Uh, for example, the last couple of days, I have not been smoking my standard favorite blend. I've been smoking a different Virginia Perique. Yeah, I know. I realize it's the same, you know, same thing, but it's a completely different tobacco, so it's a different style that I'm experiencing. If you smoke one blend and one blend only, I think a couple of days break away from that one blend to smoke something else. Will when you come back to your blend will reintroduce you to it. It'll make it new again or maybe have cleansed your palate out. Uh, if you're like me and you're stuck in Virginia Periques, except during the summertime when I smoke the occasional bowl of a straight Virginia in the morning time, you have to do the same thing. You have to find something that will cleanse your palate and move it away from that. Now, how do you find these things? All right. The simplest way that I see is that if you like one manufacturer, you're probably going to like what else that manufacturer makes. Again, that's my idea of the uh, the water in the factory, and I've probably talked about it years ago. Uh, if you like one manufacturer, you're probably going to like most of what they do because you like their style and you like the way they process tobaccos. You kind of like the water in the factory. So if you're smoking one blend and one blend only, and that's it, I would highly suggest that you find from that manufacturer a different blend that is not too far away, but is a enough of a change for you to try it for a couple of days and get away from your, your favorite blend. Uh, if you're like me and you're into Virginia Periques, you know what? Take a break from them. Uh, Find a tobacco again that is maybe just a just a straight Virginia that's got enough uh, enough meat and style to it, and take a break from the Perique. Let the Perique kind of you know let your body forget the Perique. Um, but again, look for look for something within the same manufacturer or within the same style. Now, if you are somebody who has a uh, has a set of favorites and you're looking for recommendations for some new stuff, you know, tobaccoreviews.com or the reviews on the uh, on uh, smoking pipes is a good place to go to read those reviews. Those are written by uh, written by people that have actually smoked the product. And find a reviewer who you kind of match up with. 
spend the time reading through the reviews, find a reviewer that you match up with flavor-wise, pipe-style-wise, uh, maybe find a trusted friend that you uh, that you like, yeah, that, that you understand what he smokes or she smokes, and try those same things. Um, as you get further on in your experience, you'll find, like me, I'm pretty much jaded. Uh, I'll use an example. Uh, Samuel Goweth had uh, never come out with a tobacco that I could truly enjoy because of the water in the factory or that Lakeland whatever. When they came out with the cabbies mixture, I found it. I found that I liked it, so I bought some tins. Uh, but you got to you know keep trying so that you have these when you're when you're pigeonholed like the person that likes one tobacco or like the person like me that likes one style of tobacco. You need to find these tobaccos that are enjoyable to you but are not in your standard wheelhouse and will give you a bit of a break. Um, just my suggestions. I would love to hear what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear how you, uh, you know, what, what makes you try a new tobacco? What is it? Is it a recommendation? Um, is it a reputation of the factory? You tell me what you're thinking. Love to hear them. Hope this was uh, thought stimulating for you and interesting all at the same time. And in just a minute, we'll have uh, Dave Field on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at smokingpipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I am pleased to welcome to uh, the Pipes Magazine radio show, uh, mostly known around the world as R.D. Field or uh, David Field, and let me, I, I'm just excited to get your history out there and primarily to, uh, you know, just, just to pick your brain and, and let everybody know all the things that you've contributed to the hobby in the past and currently are doing so uh david welcome to the pipes magazine radio show thank you very much uh, i'm glad to be here yeah and uh, even though you're friends with marty you, you still agreed to come on the show <laughs> yes i did yeah. <laughs> indeed i mean to follow him is an honor honestly <laughs> yeah um well and uh it's been a while since we it took us time to get over having marty on the show but um anyway let, let's talk about it you're you're not a you're not quite one of those new young hipster kids that's smoking a pipe um when did you what year was it when you first smoked a pipe oh 
I mean, let, me, let me tell you, this is, um, I'm a kid. I was a kid. I was uh, oh, eight or nine, <laughs> and I, I'm walking to a drugstore, Rexall. I don't know if they have Rexalls anymore, but I walk into, into uh, Rexall, and I saw the special display of two packages of holiday pipe tobacco and a pipe, all for 79 cents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bought it. Uh, you, you know, you were allowed to do that as a kid then. Uh, I'm sure you can't do it now, but uh, I, I brought it home. Of course, I hid it. I, I wasn't going to show my parents it. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I smoked some of the tobacco. But, but what I really did, I looked at that pipe. It was a you know, highly a shellacked pipe. And I didn't like it. It was really shiny. So I got uh, I got some sandpaper, sanded it down, and, and then I got a hand drill and drilled it. And I drilled holes <laughs> partially through the wood to make it look kind of old and wormy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the result, but I thought uh, after a week or two, uh, the... The, the bit I used was too big. It looked it looked like a it looked like a really big worm had gone through there. So that wasn't very good. So I went out and I bought another two packs of Holiday of tobacco and another pipe, sanded that down and used a smaller smaller drill bit, and that looked really good. Um, so I think that was really my introduction. I'm as I said, I'm not sure I smoked that pipe. I smoked it some, but I, I'm sure I didn't smoke even one pack of holiday uh, tobacco. And uh, I guess next, probably I was about 15, and I was smoking cigarettes. And I smoked cigarettes from 15 to 20 until I found out it was going to kill me. So I stopped that. But I, 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 I picked up a pipe or two from the time I was 15 or so. Uh, Actually, from the Middleton shop in Philadelphia, uh, and I remember the the brand was Old Mariner. I don't know who made it, but uh, they were, you know, English shapes. And every now and again, I smoked a pipe, uh, uh, but uh, you know, most I smoked cigarettes. Um, the time that I really started a little bit more was I was going off to college at eighteen, and my father. He bought me a Dunhill pipe. I mean, he had me. He had me choose it. I went to the Middleton shop with him, and uh, I chose a Dunhill tan shell apple, K shape, as a matter of fact. Uh, Eighteen dollars at that point. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I I really looked at that and I said, gee, I really like the way this thing looks. And I found, you know, I've found since then, I really like. I like I like functional art, um, so I like handmade pipes. I like handmade handmade things you can use, like teapots, coffee pots, uh, even ashtrays. Anything anything that's functional that that someone has crafted, and and that looks really nice. So uh, I uh, you know I took this pipe to at the college and smoked it along with the cigarettes, of course. And then continued on until I stopped smoking cigarettes and then really took a pipe up uh, seriously. And I was able to scrim and save and I bought a couple more Dunhills. I was fascinated with Dunhills. I don't know why, but I really was. I, well, perhaps uh, because I read that uh, at the time Dunhill was the, you know, the, the best, the most, the best uh, pipe company in the world. It, 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 you know, it produced the best 
you know, the best smoking pipes. So I think that's how I started. So is it fair to say that that was about uh, 50 years ago or so or something? Uh, I went to college. I started college in 1960. So this is a long time ago. Yeah, in a galaxy far, far away because Dunhills were $18. $18 in 1960. That is correct. But, of course, I had some old Dunhill catalogs that I got years later that actually in the 20s they were a lot cheaper than that. They were $7, but that was the 1920s. The interesting thing, I had a 1928 catalog, Dunhill catalog, and it showed it showed a couple of things. It showed the smooth pipes were $7 and the sandblasts were $9. <laughs> the reason the reason is that you know it took more work to 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 sandblast the pipe. There was more there was more uh, you know there was more labor. Also, it showed that the sandblast had no had no shape number stamped on them. And I'm presuming it's because the guys who were sandblasting they they constantly had the shapes sort of out round. They were not they were not perfect. They were very very craggy, which I love, but they were not out of round. So I'm presuming you know I presume that. Uh, uh, the the people that matter say, well, we better not stamp shape numbers. So we'll call this example three or example nine or whatever. <laughs> so the only thing they had stamped on there was the 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 size of the inner tube. Now, and this is a completely different uh, sidebar, but is that 1928 catalog the one that had the Dunhill with the uh, the Saturn Dunhill pipe? It did. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep, I've seen that one. I- Cost me a fortune trying yeah, to make. Yeah, lots one. of reprints, lots of reprints of that catalog around. I had an original, of course, uh, a few years ago, seven, eight years ago. I was building a house here in New Mexico, and so I sold it. <laughs> uh, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> and you were able to add on one door to the house. I was able to add something on with that sale. I mean, I sold a lot of things. I sold my entire action collection, which I had, was well over 200 pipes. I figured I, I needed the money to build this house. So I sold a lot of things. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to you in college, and you were you were just smoking your Dunhill. Were you experimenting with different kinds of tobaccos, or did you ever uh, finish all that holiday mixture? Uh, no, I <laughs> I never finished holiday. No, I was experimenting. I've tried um, uh, obviously aromatic because everybody around me said, "Oh, that's very nice," and I hated them. And I tried English, and I found I didn't like Latakia. And I, I, uh, I hit on Virginia, and I, I was, I was really a Dunhill freak by that time. There was a Dunhill store in Philadelphia, and I, you know, every now and then I used to come home. I went to college about thirty-five miles from uh, from home in Philadelphia. And yeah, I used to come home and I used to go to the Dunhill store and I'd buy a pipe occasionally, but I had like 18 my mixtures made for me, you know, experimenting here and there. I didn't know what I was doing. But yeah, I used to go in the store and say, I want some of this and some of that, whatever. And I was I was there all the time, or so it seemed. And as as I put in one of the articles I wrote for uh, for Pipes and Tobaccos, I even bought Dunhill cologne. I don't even wear cologne, but I bought Dunhill. I bought everything Dunhill because I was really enamored. It was, it was, I, I was a, I guess an early Dunhill groupie. I guess you could say. You. I, I really thought they were just so good at what they did. Now, of course, I was a kid though. I mean, I was young. I was twenty, you know, whatever, twenty-one, eighteen, and I, I hadn't had the experience, but 
Yeah, I thought I did. I thought I knew what I was doing. Maybe I did know what I was doing. I'm not really sure. But uh, anyway, it was a very, very interesting time where I collected about uh, uh, three or four Dunhill pipes. I was scraping and saving in order to get him to spend, at the time, 20 bucks, 22 bucks a pipe or whatever. So, so yeah, I did that. I went through through college. And then I don't know what I really... I, I, Again, I was enamored of, of pipes, especially sandblast pipes. I love the way they look and they feel. And I love their the old ones, the, the cragginess of it all. You know, the newer ones aren't quite so aren't aren't quite so craggy. Um, and so I really got interested and I began to read. And this is now uh, nineteen uh, I don't know, nineteen seventy six or seventy seven, I started to collect old pipes and the way I collected them <laughs> I put an ad in the magazine section of the Friday Inquirer, the Philadelphia Inquirer and it said wanted you know, old pipes and <laughs> I got I got I got uh, yeah I got telephone calls from people. Yeah I have I have a couple pipes or you know or, or, yeah, or my husband died he has a couple pipes and I went to people's homes and I bought I bought their pipes. I don't know if anybody could do that now. I don't know if any any homeowner puts that complete stranger in their house. But <laughs> at the time, at the time, 1976, 77, whatever. Yeah, they did. I mean, and it was, it was fine. I, you know, I met quite a few interesting people. I was, I was able to get um, a lot of, of of good pipes, and and a lot more of the old old junk pipes, which I didn't want. I just. You know, I just tossed, but I was able to get Barlings and Daniels and Charons and Costellos, and I would I would clean them up, and um, I then found out about the pipe smokers of Femoris. There was a a guy at Penn who called me. You know, he saw my ad. He introduced me to the pipe smokers of Femoris. I had no idea that there were other crazies like myself who <laughs> loved old pipes, and. You know, I started to get, I subscribed to this, this uh, journal, and, and, and began reading. It's like, oh, there's a whole, whole bunch of people like me. <laughs> so <laughs> it really got it. And then I developed a newsletter, and I would sell these places. I mail out a newsletter saying, I've got blank, 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 blank for sale at, at blank, blank price. And I was just sending them out to, to, to people who, who were in the ephemeris, whose addresses I could get. And I met a lot of nice people. I met people from New Jersey and from other places in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I sold, uh, I sold, I sold these uh, estate pipes. I think I might have been one of the first to do that. I'm not sure. Wait, wait a second. Uh, you found nice people from New Jersey? Yeah, I actually did, as a matter of fact. Yes, there are a few of them. I think there are three of them in the state. Well, that's all the pipe smokers. <laughs> well, actually, one was a widow of a pipe smoker, so that oh, doesn't okay. count. <laughs> so, what, let's go back to college. What uh, did did you graduate, and uh, what was your degree in, and what did you do I for a living? Thank you very much. And it, it only took me the it cost some four years. I didn't I didn't have to spend any extra time in school. <laughs> and I graduated, I graduated with a degree in English or English literature or American literature or literature, whatever you want to call it. But that was. That was what I studied. I actually started out in pre-med, and then I found that math and science, and I just didn't quite hit it off very well. But I love to read, so 
I said, all right, I'm going to switch to English. And I did. So what were you doing for a professional career besides uh, looking for widows? <laughs> After college, I, I, uh, I, I lived in New York thinking I was going to write. And I bought a typewriter and I moved into a little horrible hotel and I drank a bit to see if I could write. And I drank, and I didn't write anything, so I went. Then I had to look for a job. And I decided, because I could I mean, I can't put a sentence together. I mean, I am not a writer, uh, as Marty is a writer, because he's good. He should be, as far as I'm concerned, a national columnist. I think he could be. But I can put a sentence together, so I was going to go uh, and, and work in advertising. And I went uh, to an interview or two and I had to wait and wait and wait and they didn't call me in and I left and then I said this is this is ridiculous so I went and applied to the city of New York as a as a, a social worker trainee actually at the time it was called social investigator trainee and it was for the Department of Welfare and I did that for a year and a half and then I moved back to Philadelphia and I worked for the state there, the same kind of thing. I wasn't a trainee anymore. Then I moved on to the city of Philadelphia, and I was a gang worker. Do you know what a gang worker is? No. Uh, a gang worker is uh, is someone who who goes out on the street and hangs out with a gang, a street gang, trying to, to modify their behavior, trying to get them to stop... Uh, stop, uh, um, you know, hitting on strangers and stop uh, protecting their turf from other people who are walking through their turf. And I did that for a year and a half. Now, the thing with, with the gang worker, I found that in reality, no one in the department seemed to know exactly how to handle the situation. But we did find in time that it was not you know, folks like myself out on the street that helped, but it was it was folks like myself trying to organize the community to try and help. And it actually it actually worked once we found out that we were really supposed to organize the community, the people in the community. It really uh, helped alleviate the youth problem. Huh. So anyway, I did that. I did that, and then afterwards, I I went to. Uh, to do the family counseling, and I love that. I was, uh, I think, a pretty good family counselor. So, yeah, I worked for the city of Philadelphia. I was doing that. And in the meantime, I, I was still interested in pipes, and I um, I decided I wanted to be a principal pipe dealer for Dunhill. Now, how could you do that? There's yeah. a, a guy who has a mailing list of like 20 or 30 names. And how the hell can he become a principal pipe dealer? Well, here's what I did. I, I I borrowed some money from my father. I borrowed three thousand dollars. Of course, I didn't have any money. And I sent Dunhill. This was this was this was Dunhill in New York before they went to Lane Limited. I sent them a check for three thousand dollars, saying I want to be a principal pipe dealer. And they sent me uh, a box of twenty-four pipes. You know, the pipe cabinet, twenty-four pipes, and six hundred dollars change. So I became a principal pipe dealer. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was uh, one for each one of your customers on the mailing list, and that is also a perfect spot for us to take a break. We'll be right back with more uh, stories with David. 
What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with the world's largest principal pipe dealer of Dunhill Pipes ever, all 24 pipes, uh, with David Field. Uh, so, so first of all, I'm glad you survived the, your days on the streets of Philadelphia dealing with gangs. Um, yeah, it was it was not a problem. The gang, the gang, and I, all the, all those guys were fine. They uh, they really were. I hoped I was able to do something. I actually think I was when I was able to find some you know some members of the community to uh, to uh, to help out. I think it did help. So, what did you do with those uh, with those first twenty four Dunhill pipes when you became a dealer? I sold them, and, <laughs> and I didn't discount them either. I sold them. I mean, there were people who wanted these, uh, even though I mean, I don't know if I had twenty four customers. I might had thirty. I might have had fifty. I don't remember. I have to. It's a long time ago, Brian. <laughs> um, but I, I, I sold them, and I was able to get more, and I was able to go to the uh, principal pipe dealers conference but 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 before then i want to say that i went over on my own i went to england uh, on my own on my own in 1978 and here's where i studied i went to the, the british museum i don't know if it was called the patent library or just a library but i went there and i pulled all pipe patents i mean i i was there for days <laughs> you know looking at all these pipe patents is Especially the Dunhill patent. I have, I still have copies of this. You know, I, 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 I photosatted them, uh, and so I learned a lot um, about 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 Dunhill and about uh, you know what they said, how they patented, you know what they did, and I also was able to go to the Cumberland Road factory, and I want to give an aside here and say uh-huh. Cumberland Road, Cumberland Road factory. Of course, it's been closed for a while. But to call the Dunhill mouthpiece Cumberland is absolutely wrong. It has nothing to do except it was the name of the factory. It was on Cumberland Road. The the yeah. uh, the mouthpiece should actually be called uh, Brindle because it's streaked or striated. That is what you know. That's what means Brindle. So I, I really get upset when I keep on hearing everybody referring to a Cumberland mouthpiece. It's not. It's a Brindle mouthpiece. Bill Taylor yelled at me about that once too. Yeah, I mean, and and people keep on saying, and you know, uh, Cumberland, it's you know, it ain't real. Anyway, as I was saying, I studied all these patents. I went uh, and I saw I saw the factory. I was I was speaking with the the factory manager, 
uh, you know, at the time it was new at the time, and I was taken through the whole factory and the basement, and I mean, it was very, very neat. It was, uh, you know, eye-opening. I really, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the visit. And then afterwards, after, I I don't remember if I did this before I became a principal pipe dealer or afterwards, I don't recall, but they had a conference, 1980, and I was invited there. Yeah, you know, I have to pay all my own airfare, of course, but they they put us up in a hotel, and they put us through the factory, they they did a, a bang-up job, absolutely, and without a question, very, very impressive. And so I learned more then, I met more people then. Uh, I did not meet Bill Taylor then. <laughs> I mean, he might have come in, but I did not know who he was. Uh, uh, I met, uh, again, I knew from, from uh, before the, you know, the factory manager's name was David Webb, a wonderful person. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know Bill at that time. Did you, uh, did you get a chance to, um, did you meet Richard okay. Dunhill then? Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, I have a, I have, I have uh, a certificate signed uh, by, uh, by, by Richard Dunhill. It's hanging on my wall in my little uh, pipe shipping room. <laughs> yeah, he was there. And as a matter of fact, um, we went, uh, and it was really nice. We went to a night, a dinner, a dinner at Blenheim Palace. And, and who was the speaker? I bet Harold Wilson. That was fantastic. Now, who I mean, is... For anybody who doesn't know, for all yeah. the young guys, Harold Wilson was the uh, prime minister of the of the UK. Now, at the time that, you know, he was there, he was not. He was, you know, all done with that. But, you know, he had been the the, the uh, prime minister of the UK. So he was past his prime, huh? I said, no, he wasn't past his prime. His clubbers all get out. He just wasn't doing politics anymore, I presume. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't miss that chance. <laughs> now, when you first when you first got enamored with Dunhill, did you also get enamored with the clothing and all the other uh, all the other stuff they used to do? The clothing, no. I, I, and I didn't even see too much in the Philadelphia store. There wasn't very much clothing, but they had the toiletries and they had leather goods. So, of course, I bought Dunhill pouches. I told you about Danielle Cologne, and actually, I don't wear cologne, but I actually wore cologne for a while. <laughs> I, I bought it. It was in these. I remember them too. They were in these, you know, black bottles. Looked like dice or die, you know, a die or two dice. And it was a cologne and aftershave. Um, but the clothing, no, I don't think I had too much of it in the Philadelphia store. <laughs> so at that, at that. Pipe conference for Dunhill, was that the year they introduced the pipe that was shaped like the tobacco jar? Yes. As yeah. a matter of fact, I had that. Of course, I sold that to them. But I had that, yeah. yeah. And they and they also had where, where, you, where you could, uh, all, the, all the retailers you know, who were there chose a stumble, a briar, a briar stumble. And they said, well, we're going to make this into a pipe. And if it's a Dunhill, you'll get a Dunhill. And if not... It's going to be something else, a Parker or whatever. And of course, out of the, I don't know how many retailers there were. I have to admit that there were like uh, two Dunhill pipes, and all the rest were, you know, at Parker saying there were flaws, et cetera, et cetera. But that was a neat thing to do. I mean, they really treated us extra, extraordinarily well. Just amazing. And of course, it did help to sell their brand of of, of, of pipes. With, I mean, you know, how could you not? I mean, you were really enthused. We were all enthused. It was great. Yeah. Are there? And it was is, there at the at the at the principal pipe dealers conference, the first one, because I went to 
I went to I went to two. The first one I met Pete Siegel, who I presume you are aware of. Yeah. Are you? Yep. Okay. You know, he and his brother started Marble Arch and uh, imported uh, imported the Upshaw, et cetera. I met him. At, you know, he had a store. He and his brother had a store, and on on, on Long Island. And he and I, you know, uh, I struck up had quite a friendship at the time. It was actually very very nice. I met I met you know uh, a lot of folks I heard of before, and I I had a very very good time. Uh, before, when you mentioned the Dunhill patents that you read, we you know we know some of the basic ones, but are there some? Is, is there one or two of the more interesting ones that you can uh, that you remember? <laughs> You're asking me to remember from 1978 or whatever. Yeah, I don't remember. I do have them in my in my in my uh, in my literature, but I I I just remember there was one about the. I think the mouthpiece, and there were there were a few on the on the on the sandblasting. Uh, there was something on the uh, the Vernon Dunhill patent, which had the intricate uh, you know metalwork in there. Um, I don't remember exactly if anything would be interesting to any of your uh, <laughs> you know of your listeners. All right, let's go forward then, and for for our listeners, most of them. Is there a period of Dunhill pipes that you like better than other periods or years to Absolutely. look for? Absolutely, and without a question. Uh, I think the pipes made after 1968. If you compare pipes, if you if you put if you put ten pipes made in 1968 out and ten from 1969, you're going to notice one heck of a difference. From my understanding, many of the craftsmen that were let go after 68. And the pipes really went downhill, in my opinion, from then. Um, I think they picked up again in, in the in the uh, early 80s. But for a couple of years, they just looked dreadful. And also, they started the new, the new shaping system. Instead of having the old shapes, they had these numbers, which and they they changed the stain on the on the on the on the shell from. From having a reddish you know, undertone to, to something that was blue black, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I wouldn't. I have. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be happy having a 1969 Dunhill pipe or 1970 or 1971. I think you know, in the 80s it started to come back. And I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure why. Maybe it was just better automation because I don't think they hired any more craftsmen. Although again, I could be wrong. I don't know this. This is, this is only, uh, you know, my opinion. I have no, you know, I have no facts to back up any of this. Well, you are the leading expert on your own opinion. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and you don't, you don't know exactly what Dunhill used to oil cure, do you? No, uh, yeah, I talked with Bill Taylor about that often. He said while he was there, and he started, I think in '59, he said they weren't uh, oil curing then. So I don't know what they used. I know that they had used it early on, uh, but according to Bill, you know, from the time he was there, it was not used. All right, so let's jump back to the 1980s and. Uh... How do how do you get associated with Bill Taylor? That's interesting. Um, I went to the St. Louis show in '82, 
And I was invited to somebody's house. I'm not going to mention names because he turned out to be a bad guy. <laughs> but I was invited to uh, this guy's house along with other people. And he brought out some pipes. And I don't know how he contacted Bill Cowher. I have no idea. He brought out some pipes. And it said that Briar Woods of London. And they looked really good. And I was looking for something. I really was. The album had come out. It was really a hit. I said, gee, I got to get something like that. It's really nice. But, you know, I loved English pipes, and I wanted something like that. Anyway, I saw these these pipes, and um, I I I I found out you know, who made them from this uh, the person I won't mention. <laughs> uh, I found out who made them, and I came back home, and I wrote. <laughs> because I know the guy's name now, Bill Taylor, okay. I wrote to him in care of Daniel, and I wrote personal on there. I put it in another envelope and wrote personal on that <laughs> so that, that no one else would open the, the letter. Well, the managing director opened the letter. According to Bill, I talked to him afterwards. Opened the letter, and he, call, he calls Bill Taylor in. And he says, are you, are you planning to leave here to start your own company? And Bill didn't have any clue as to what was going on. He said, no, of course not. And the, the, the managing director, and I won't mention his name either, but um, the managing director said, okay then. And he, <laughs> he crumpled up my letter and threw it in the bin, in the, uh, you know, the wastebasket. And Bill Taylor, afterward, that evening, after the managing director had left, he knew he knew the cleaning lady, and to tell the cleaning lady to fetch, you know, the trash can. And he pulled the letter out, <laughs> and he called me. He called me. This was. This must. I'm telling you, it was. I'm trying to. Whether it was a 1982 show that I went to or 1983, I don't remember. But he called me in February of '83, and you know, I went over what I wanted. And he was agreeable, and it started out. Now, I wrote in an article, you know, for, for Pipes and Tobacco, I wrote a different version because I wrote the original version, and I ran it by Bill, and he said, I don't want you to write that. I don't want that <laughs> in there. So I, I changed it. So anybody who looks at that old Pipes and Tobacco article is going to say, well, what's this guy saying now? Because he said something else later. Oh, he said something else earlier, and that's true. I said something else because uh, Bill said, I don't put that in there. But that's the actual truth, that um, he was almost fired because of my letter. But then he had the wherewithal to, you know, to retrieve the letter. You know, I had my phone number. And, you know, 1982 or whenever this was, I think February 83, to call, to call from Great Britain over here, uh, cost of fortune. I mean, it's expensive. Yeah. It, it was expensive to do that. But anyway, we had quite a few, uh, quite a few phone conversations in that in that February, and we actually, you know, I were trying to come up with a name right, for the pipe. I mean, we, you know, you know, what are you going to call this thing? I don't know. I have, uh, I have, uh, yeah, I have uh, two daughters. And, and one, the youngest one, is Ann Ashley Field. Her middle name is Ashley. So I said, how about Ashley? And he said, no, no, too much like Ashley's, which was a famous store in London. Yeah. And then both of us at the same time said Ashton. And that was it. 
Uh, it was a name. <laughs> no, uh, no confusion with the cigar brand or uh, or any of that whatsoever. Well, the cigar brand hadn't been started yet. Uh, I have a friend of mine, Rob Levin, and I, you know, he has a store in Philadelphia, and he wanted to start a cigar brand, and I kept. I kept jabbing him. I said, listen, you don't want to call us another Don Nobody. Why don't you call him Ashton? That's a really nice name. And he did. But that was in the 80, I think he started that in 84, 85, something like that. So that was well after the, the, uh, the pipe started. The pipe, the pipe started in 83. I think there were 30 of them. And the, you know, the first, uh, you know, full year of production, that was 84. And you were and you were in charge of the U.S. sales for for the brand while working a full time job. Yes, and, and the U.S. sales at the time were you know the world sales because he didn't have anybody else. <laughs> he wasn't selling anywhere else. <laughs> so, so the the birth of the Ashton brand, and then uh, uh, are we able to talk about uh, Bill Taylor and uh, and his real middle name? Well, his real middle name is John, but he actually had his name changed to Ashton Taylor. I mean, he legally uh, he legally did that. All, so, William John Ashton Taylor. All because of you. I can't say because of me. It's because of his boat. <laughs> well, we'll blame you for it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, pal. <laughs> David, I got a ton more questions for you, and we're running way long. Can I get you to come back on a uh, on another show, maybe in a week or two? Oh, sure, that's not a problem whatsoever. I love talking about it, and you better get me while I still remember anything. That's important, so we'll get you on as soon as possible. But and then you'll also get the fast five final questions. So I'll give you a chance to prepare for those. But uh, I don't want to. No, I don't, I don't need preparation. I don't want preparation. I don't okay. think too much. Or uh, or no planning. All right. In that case, we'll have you. We'll we'll have you back in a week or two, and we'll get you the fast five final questions then. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting into the uh, into the past uh, thirty years with you. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, I, you know, I, I just love I love getting these guys that have been in the hobby and around the business for a while. It's just, I mean, just so many great stories. So I can't wait to have uh, have David back on. 
Uh, for music tonight, we are going back to uh, Sir James Galway, the uh, noted flautist, who I believe we've played twice before. Uh, this one is off of his album, I believe it's called The Essential James Galway. Yes, The Essential James Galway, and it's called uh, Riverdance. I just think it's, it's pretty and both uh, fun at the same time, so here we go.
first time we heard uh, Sir James Galway was on this show was on the uh, soundtrack for Lord of the Rings. And, uh, boy, in order to play that piece, could you imagine how fast his fingers and his lips have to be? Yes! You have new mail. Before we get into the mailbag, uh, I've got one opening for the summer series with the the listeners as co-hosts. We have one spot that came available, so if you would like to be that person, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or you can go on Facebook and send me a Facebook message. All I need is your name and your idea for uh, pipe parts, and we've got one more spot. We had had a spot come available, so there you go. You got one last chance. Uh, and in regards to uh, Mike Zika on last week's show, Casey Ghost writes, no way would I last trying out Mike's method of breaking in a pipe. It takes way too long for someone like me. First bowl or the hundredth, just load it and go. No doubt I'm missing something, but that's how it goes. I can't argue with you. Um he goes on to say, a "Very good interview. I had to be for uh, I had to be for you as Mike is a staunch supporter of vapors. I do like vapors. Escudo just about the best thing ever, but Latakia is just the best thing there is. <laughs> the music was quite good. I really enjoyed it. Glad you like the music. Uh, Dino says, "Great to hear fellow CPCC member and friend Mike Zika on the show." The conversation was very interesting and entertaining. I kind of agree with Dan. I just load them up and smoke year and smoke. Years ago, I did the water honey smear in an unfinished chamber, but recently the pipes I've bought new, almost all Petersons, already have a coating. I'm a big fan of OCMS and really like the song. Uh, that's all thanks to uh, John from two weeks ago. Uh, as I'm never going to move, the collections of stuff just keep piling up. Thanks for a fun show, Dino. <laughs> Dino, if you need help with your stuff, uh, call somebody else. Anyway, uh, and finally, uh, I Play Guitar says, Great idea of mixing things up with the user end of the hobby. Admittedly, I no longer have the patience to break in a pipe the way Mike described. Though a bit severe, your way is closer to the way I break my pipes in. Nice job as usual, Brian. Cheers, Jorge. Thank you, Jorge. Um, yeah, I guess I, uh, you know, there there are people that have the patience to uh, break in the pipe in layers, and there are people like me that just want to beat it up the first couple of bowls and see how it goes. Um, all right, coming up pipe shows that are coming up august 25th and 26th the naspc show in uh, dublin ohio just outside of columbus it starts friday night at 5 p.m and uh, goes uh, until 10 o'clock that night and then uh, from nine to five the next day always a great show always a, a great raffle and uh, if you're not a member of the naspc hey you're missing out on getting their uh, their lovely newsletter with uh yeah, 60-some-odd pages of uh, pipe stories in it. So 21 bucks a year, you can definitely afford that. And on uh, October 7th in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, right outside of Dallas, is the first Texas Pipe Show. There's uh, four pipe clubs that are putting it on. It's at, it's at a place called Pops Safari Room, which just, I mean, just the name alone sounds like fun 
Anyway, this is the first year for the show. If you're uh, interested, their website is texaspipeshow.com. You can go there, find out all kinds of information, and the show's schedule is up. Plus, I'm sure they'll tell you how to get to Pop's Safari Room. And, uh, hey, if it's a Texas Pipe Show, it must be bigger because everything is bigger in Texas. And, uh, oops, I skipped over uh, September 22nd through the 24th, the Greater Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show at the Argosy Casino in uh, Riverside, Missouri. And that's the Argosy Casino where I absolutely love the showers because those showers are bigger than some hotel rooms are alone. Uh, Plus, it's uh, always a good time to hang out with those guys. This is a a new time of the year for them, so uh, check it out September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. And then the West Coast Pipe Show, uh, November 4th, 5th at the Palace Station in Las Vegas. And that would wrap up the end of the Pipe Show year. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Remember Facebook Live tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern on my personal Facebook page. So you can head there. Uh, While you're on Facebook... The Pipes Magazine radio show has its own page there, so you can give them a like. And, uh, you know, another little little quick story. On uh, Facebook, I have my uh, Disney Tabacchiana collection that's got a couple other guys that have contributed their pipes and pictures of it. Uh, if you have any Disney-related Tabacchiana stuff, please go there, like it. You can uh, post your pictures to it, and I'll create a folder for you. But uh, re- this past week, I found a uh, picture of the Disneyland Tobacco Shop from the first year, so 1955, and they spelled tobacconist N-E-S-T, and I've now been researching to find out when they corrected it, <laughs> but I thought it was funny. It's a, it's actually a tobacco nest. It's not a tobacco nest, but they fixed it somehow. Um, anyway, if you would like to advertise on this show, please contact Kevin Godby at pipesmagazine.com. He handles all that, and uh, we do appreciate the support of all of our uh, supply, all of our advertisers. And uh, last thing before we get on to the rant, if you go to pipes, uh, if you go to smokingpipes.com and click on the blog, you will see a great interview with. Uh, Chuck Stanion from Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Uh, it was part one. It's been out for, I guess, about a week and a half. So you can check that out. It's a lot of fun. All right. I'm going to warn you now. Sensitive rant time next. Cowboy. Cowboy. Currently in the United States of America, if you are a tobacco user, you can be charged a 30% premium. A 30% premium on your health insurance. That is the only, the only condition that can cause your health insurance to go up. Other than that, it's a calculation of age, and uh, that's about it. Well, if you're a tobacco user, it's a voluntary thing, and they consider it all to be addicted to nicotine. Anybody that is addicted to nicotine or uses nicotine can be charged a 30% health premium. Here's the slippery slope. 
Now they're starting to talk about obesity and drugs and alcohol. Yes, people that are obese, some of them have health reasons why they are obese or fluffy or portly or chubby or whatever you want to call them. But some of them don't have those true health things, uh, the, the true health-related reasons. They just have lifestyle reasons that they are addicted to sugar or addicted to fats or addicted to whatever, and it has made them fluffy. Well, the slippery slope is targeting them for higher health insurance costs. And the other group, recreational drugs or street drugs, those that are not prescribed and sold by pharmaceutical companies, those people that are diagnosed with them can could be in line to see an increased premium charge as well because they cause more expenses on the healthcare spectrum. Same thing with those that become addicted to alcohol. So here's the slippery slope. If you like to booze it up a little bit, or uh, maybe you live in Colorado and you like to smoke it up a little bit, or maybe you just can't get away from the Twinkies, well, guess what? They're targeting you too, and it's because you let the smokers slip by with saying, oh, they're just smokers. We'll give them a 30% charge, and they can quit anytime they want to. Well, you know what, damn it? Some of us enjoy it, and some of us aren't going to quit. All right. Hope you uh, fluffy booze hound drug addicts are not pissed off at me, but there you go. Uh, listen, comments, questions, again, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. i uh, got a uh, special show coming up We will in a couple of weeks. We will have David Field back on here pretty quickly. Lots coming up with uh, lots of new episodes. And as you're all getting back to school and back from summer vacations and you're getting caught up on stuff, got comments on those, hey, go ahead and post them. And while you're on iTunes, we would appreciate a uh, rating or a review. So, want to thank David Field for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Hey, what's happening, Norm? Uh, the doggy dog world, Sammy, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. <laughs> <laughs>